So I'm going to start sitting down, but undoubtedly I will suddenly have to get up. Um, and then we'll have to do it in the round. I hope that'll be all right. We'll just see how that goes. Uh, so my name is Tim Freak. My name really is pronounced Freak. <laughs> it's an old West Country name. What can you do? If you grow up with the name Freak, you, you kind of you don't take yourself too seriously, which if you're somebody who's interested in spiritual awakening is a great blessing. <laughs> because there's a lot of very serious people involved with spiritual awakening. The place I'd like to start is with the, the really, really obvious. Most of what I want to talk tonight, tonight about is actually obvious, but really interesting nevertheless. And the place I'd like to start is with with the mystery that this is at all. That we are here having this experience, whatever it is. That we're on this journey between life and death, that there's these colors and shapes and sounds and thoughts, that we're experiencing this whole thing. All of that going on out there in a universe of the most extraordinary size and age. So one of the things which I find very interesting is how little attention people give that and how the vast majority of the time we walk around as if we know exactly what's going on. And it seems to me that the honest truth is we haven't got a clue what's going on. In a really, really profound way. That we have not got a clue what is going on. This is happening, but what is this? And, and one of the things I love about the science, excuse me, that's got to come off. This is it, I'm up. There we go. There we go. There we go. Didn't last long, did it? Never mind. One of the things I love about science, because I'm talking about spirituality tonight, but let's throw in a bit of science, because that's also interesting, is that, you know, for the last 300 years, some very, very clever human beings have been looking in reaction largely to superstitious religion, have come in and gone, okay, enough of that. Let's really have a look at what this is. And then about a hundred years ago, you know, they came back to us and said, okay, we've looked at this and we've found it's not there. Which is extraordinary, but it's not there. So we now know that this, this solidity is 99% empty space. Or, I mean, I'm going to give you it because I like, I like doing this. Actually, feel, feel your bum on the seat. All right, there it is. That 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
one of the first things, you know the Hubble telescope, that amazing telescope they, put, they, they developed a little while back? That when they, the first thing they did with it is they took it and they focused on the night sky where there was nothing. A dark piece of emptiness on the, about the size of a pinprick to see what was there. So what did they find in that pinprick of nothing in the night sky? 14 galaxies! <laughs> 14 galaxies! And each galaxy contains 100 to 200 billion stars. That's in each little dot of nothing. So the place I want to start is this. You know, if you live to be 80, you'll have 4,000 weeks to sort this out. <laughs> 100 billion galaxies. This isn't really here. You, nothing is what it seems. That's what we've discovered. We've discovered that nothing is quite what it seems. So there's something very humbling about that. To start from a place of mystery. And actually to end in there as well. To, that's the foundation. That deep, profound not knowing. Because the crazy people are the people that think they know. I mean, if you just switch on the TV and listen to the really dangerous, crazy people, they know. They're really sure what this is and what, what's important and what's going on and what God thinks and all sorts of stuff. Or they can be scientists the same. But that's farthest from the truth because the truth is, that's the truth. So here we are. Isn't it interesting that actually most of us, most of the time, are so unconscious we don't even notice the most obvious thing about our situation. Which is, we don't know what it is! Even though we have no idea really what this is, we don't wake up in the morning going, what the hell? How many times do you switch on the TV? It used to get me when I was a kid. You switch on the TV, when do you see anyone just going, life, what the hell? You just don't. It's like everyone doesn't know what this is, but we don't. So for me, that's an observation which I really was aware of as a child. I think philosophers are just children that haven't grown up, really. Keep asking the same old basic questions. And as a child, it really seemed to me that the grown-ups were asleep in some sort of coma, really, in which they weren't noticing the obvious. What I felt like, look, I'm, something is happening here of massive importance. And I need to know, what, I, what is it? I want to know, what is it? And what should I do with it? And, and why is it so strange and full of suffering and joy? And what, what is it? And for some of you, we're here in the pre-conversation when we were waiting for everyone to arrive. I grew up in a little west country town uh, in Somerset called Yeovil, which is the sort of place you want to drive through, really. But it's where I was born, and at, when I was quite young, about the age of 12, something happened. I was sitting on this hill, which overlooks the town, watching all of these grown-ups running around, making a living and not thinking about dying, which is basically what it seems people spend most of their time doing. And I think I was there just taking in this mystery, I think that's what must have been happening. It's a long time ago. But what I do remember very vividly, partly because I wrote it all down, 
is that one day something happened for the very first time. And I experienced what I now think of as being deep awake. And which I subsequently found was called a spiritual awakening. I was a kid. I had no idea what was happening. Something happened. But the characteristics which happened seemed... Um, showed me that it was something other people had experienced before me. Many, many people. But at the time, I'm just a boy. And it's like, for me, it was like stepping into a, a world which was just next door in which the colours were really bright. And the birds were really singing. With the sensation of being alive was... How did I miss that? And this profound mystery, so powerful, this mystery. And a profound sense of communion or oneness. So that there was Tim, but Tim was actually part of everything. Like behind the scenes there was one thing. Being everything, including Tim. And the thing I remember the most, the thing which really touched me as a kid, it still does actually, this enormous love, this limitless love, like the, whole, like the whole universe just pulsating with love. How could it, you know, wow! And I just remember crying and relief and a strange sense of coming home. Like, I know this place. Even though it was so, to, so totally new, also I know this place. Now, I don't know how long that lasted when I was a boy. Probably not very long, I don't know. Long enough to make a big impression on me. And what it felt like I found there, and one thing which has stayed with me ever since, and now I'm you know, almost 60, is that the answer to the question, the big mystery, the, big, the question which is so big you, you can't say what it is, it's you know, life, the universe and everything, as Douglas Adams said. It's like it's too big for words that big question, that the answer I was looking for was not going to be a set of words. It was actually going to be an experience. That there was no set of words that could capture the answer to the ultimate question of what this is. Of what... There was never going to be like, and the answer is 42, or da-da-da-da-da-da, or a library. I mean, what would it take to answer it? It's too big. And yet there was this direct experience in which my state of consciousness just went, oh. And in it, there was what I now know is called a gnosis. In, in the ancient world, in the West, it was called a gnosis. And that's a Greek word, it just means a knowing. It's the same in India, they call it gnana. It's almost the same word, it's also knowing. Suddenly there's a knowing. What do you know? Well, it's hard to exactly say what you know, and when you do, it sounds quite childish, in my experience, and yet it's the one thing still that I know. And one of the ways of saying it is that you, there's a knowing that, that underneath it all, despite everything, despite all of the horror of which there is plenty, there is something good here, that life is essentially good. And that arises from this enormous love. So that experience as a boy set me off on this mad journey that I'm still on all these years later.
And since that time, I've experimented with every damn thing I could find to bring about that state again, to go deeper into it, and to share it with other people. And what I found was you can get there a million ways. And I, you know, I, I did long periods of meditation, meditation retreats for two years. I did all sorts of psychedelics, which blew my mind, meditation, which calmed my mind, you know, all of that stuff, study philosophy, which sharpened my mind, sat with gurus who emptied my wallet, <laughs> all of that stuff. And also studied, and then later in my life, wrote books on, I mean, I've written 35 books, it's just about every spiritual tradition, really, especially of going, look, what we have and it's unique to this time, you know, literally, you can see it. We look at this room, all these different words. This is new. You've never had this before, where you sit in a room with all these different symbols and languages all come together. That's our age, this super age of eclecticism of one world. That's what we've arrived at. And what I've been doing is going, look, their the, the, uh, the mystical heart, all of these different traditions, are actually human beings like me and you who for various reasons have stumbled in, been going along like that and then one day they've gone ah, oh my god this is enormous oneness and love and then most of them have gone like that again and then worked out how do I, how do I operate this thing <laughs> how, do I, how do I connect with this instead of keeping coming back to this and it feels a bit like it, it, it feels really natural to me one of the great the great blessings for me is that my first awakening happened when I was a kid and it happened in a, in a field. It didn't happen in a church, it didn't happen when I was meditating, I wasn't with a master, it just happened. So I think there's always been that sense for me that this is something profoundly natural. We're going to squeeze up three more people folks. Can we do that? It's going to be there's only one of us, it's fine, you know, it's just like the intimacy is just... Hi! Hi! That's okay, we've got one space here. If you don't mind having, I'm going to be moving about and stuff, but you can squeeze in next to me. There's one over there. I'm, I'll probably be in the middle and move about. Is that everyone? <coughs> Maybe go there. Yeah, so anyway, that was the secret of the universe, folks. <laughs> so what I found, and I'm, and I, you know, I'm not the first to have found this, obviously, is look. It's, a, it's natural. It's like food. It's like if you go anywhere at any time in history, in any culture, you will find people talking about food because people eat. It's different food, really different, some of it. Some things you wouldn't even think of as food, but it's all food. And it's the same with this spiritual awakening. You, you can go to ancient China and look at the Taoists. You can go to India and look at the Advaitins. You can look at shamans in the Peruvian jungles. But what you'll find is human beings who have had an experience of going and shifting 
in this state of consciousness because it's natural and it's available to all of us because if it happened to me it can happen to anyone and what I've been doing over the last 20 years is traveling around the world talking to people and sharing the experience directly so that you can you can because there's talking about it and then there's feeling the love and the, the, that oneness and love, it's a, it's a visceral, you, it's not a, mm, it's a whoa. <laughs> That's its nature. And it, it, it's absolutely available. So what I want to share with you tonight is after all these decades of being around this, I want to share where I've arrived at for a 21st century approach to this awakening. Because I am personally an evolutionist. I think everything is evolving. I think the whole universe has been evolving for 13.8 billion years. In fact, my latest book, Soul Story, this is this one, uh, is about how we can understand science and spirituality together. I might talk about some of that. Most I'm going to talk about is in this one, Deep Awake. But as an evolutionist, I don't think it's like, well, there was the ancient wisdom and they knew and now we've forgotten. And No, I don't think that's right. I think actually human beings have been having the experience and sharing it and trying to understand it and doing their best and passing it on to the next generation who need to reinvigorate it, go deeper, find a clearer way of understanding it, pass it on. And our job is to do that, not to just repeat, but to find the essence. And I think there's been things about the past which have not been helpful, as well as things about the past that have been helpful, and we need to differentiate them. So, tonight, I'm going to talk about how we can approach awakening now, what we can do to actually experience it and what it is. And I hope to do it in a way which is so clear that you're going to get what I'm saying, not only intellectually, but let's, you know, let's awaken tonight. You know, let's do it here or on your way home or when you wake up tomorrow morning, whenever the magic wants to happen. And it can. I've literally been around hundreds and hundreds of people now who've experienced an awakening either for the first time or re re returned to it. It's, it's a breath away. So, the first thing we've dealt with already, mystery. When we're like this, the first step is to come out of that closeness of our cultural conditioning so that we can see the profundity of the experience we're having. Just how extraordinary every moment actually is. That's, that's the place where, where it all starts. Just waking up to the mystery. Now the approach I'm going to share with you is based on a, a way of thinking I've made up a name for, because there wasn't one. Um, and I call it paralogical thinking, which sounds a bit scary, but it's not. Paralogical thinking is thinking in, in opposites, or it's, it's a shorthand would be both and thinking. So logical thinking says something is either true or it's not. So we're either in the room or we're not. You know, it's either Monday or it's not. And that's logical thinking. I'm a big fan of logical thinking. I wish people would be more logical, not less. I think most spirituality is not logical enough. I live in Glastonbury. Has anyone been to Glastonbury, the town? Okay, so you, if you know what Glastonbury's like, you can understand why some days I want to run down the street going, be more logical, because it's got every nutty, mad spiritual thing going. You know, it's, you can buy every sort of new age book and 
yoga mat and crystal, but you can't buy socks or saucepans. <laughs> None of that. It's one of those places. I love it, but it's mad as hell. So logic is very necessary. However, I think to understand the depths of things, you need something more. And you need something which can embrace opposites. Because it seems to me that fundamentally what we're in is paradoxical. So this is a way of thinking you can approach anything with, actually. But I'm going to use it, obviously, around awakening. But I'll give you a commonplace example, just so you can see the sort of thing I mean. So if I say to you, um, this morning I saw the sunrise. Uh, actually, that is true. Woke up and saw the sunrise out the window. However, I could equally well say that isn't true because the sun doesn't rise. Actually, we're on a huge ball going around the sun. And to say the sun rises is completely ridiculous. So I think what you can see there is that they're both true in different ways. So that it's true and not true that I saw the sunrise. And they're not contradictory because they're two different perspectives. One is just the everyday perspective, one is the deeper scientific understanding, and they sit together. That's what I mean one by both and, both this and that, not either or. So that's just a, a way of getting what I mean. And I'm going to use that, I hope, to make awakening easier. So, spirituality, I talked about science earlier. Spirituality and science are paralogical complementary opposites, actually why I love them both so much and why I want to combine them. Because what science does is it reaches out into these appearances, into sensation, and it goes, what is this? What is this? And it's actually a communal activity. We have to do it together, really, to really check it out. And that's what's what makes science so powerful. And, and spirituality is the complete opposite. Spirituality is a very individual, ultimately. It's about individual experience, and it's about going back in and going, who am I? What is this? Who am I? It's about asking the question, what is the self? What, am, what is the, what is, what, what am I? So I'm going to address that question. So when I talk tonight, I invite you to look at the moment with me. Actually look at your experience. See what's happening. So when I go, who am I, the most obvious thing is I get, well, I, I'm a body. I know that it's, it's not uh, here in a way that we think it is, but nevertheless, you know, for all intents and purposes, there it is. I'm a body. That's the first level. But there's also in spirituality this other level of our identity, which sounds very mysterious which is traditionally called the soul. But actually, I don't think it is at all mysterious. I think it's completely obvious. The Greek word for soul is one we still use today, and it's the word psyche, or we say it psyche. So there's two things happening right now which make Tim, and I'm guessing it's the same for you. One is body, and one is psyche, or soul, or mind. And those two are really different, aren't they? One is sensation. 
this flow of sensation is the body in the world, and then there's this flow of imagination, of images and ideas, which isn't in the world, is it? It isn't anywhere. Where is it? It's just, it's not anywhere. So we're kind of in it and not in it at the same time. When people say you're in the world but not of it, they're just stating the bleeding obvious. Have a look, you're not, are you? You're in it and you're not in it. The body's in it, your soul or your psyche is not in it. It's not in space. And it's not made of matter. It's made of ideas, images, immaterial things. So here it's material and it's sensation, it's body. And then here, wherever that is, there is another flow of experience which is imagination, images. That's soul. That's what, that's what you are. And, and for most of us, most of us have reached the point, I think, these days, where we identify primarily with soul. Now, I'm a big fan of the body, please don't get me wrong, I really think they're cool, mostly. They can be a pain, as you all know, I'm sure, but they're mostly, you know, bodies are, everyone should have one. <laughs> but we actually identify with this deeper level of what we are, which is immaterial. And one of the fun ways you can see that is if you watch Hollywood movies about people moving between bodies, you never ever see somebody being the body going, oh, there's somebody else in me. You always see somebody going, oh, I'm in a different body. Why? Because we identify with the persona, with the person. We identify with this because it's a deeper part of who we are. So we'll come back to the body and the soul, but that's the first polarity. That's the first opposite. And just to, just to bring in the bit where it's not either of those. You know, it's not that we're one or the other. We're kind of both, aren't we? We're both at once. What their relationship is, that's interesting. But we're both. And then there's traditionally this third element, which has many names. In our Western tradition, it's called spirit. An awakening to it is what a spiritual awakening is. Uh, and it's in the East, you, it's called the Atman or the Buddha nature. In, in the ancient world, it was called the Naus. It has a million names, doesn't matter what it's called. Actually, each one of us has the same name for it. I think it's the thing each one of us calls the I in its very deepest sense. So, what's that? What's this third thing? Well, have a look at this moment with me. Because it's all happening now. Be, ve be very conscious of the obvious. You are experiencing a flow of experiences. Yes? And in those experiences, there's body, sensation, and imagination, soul. That's what this moment is. You are experiencing that. So my question is, what's the experiencer? What's the experiencer? What is your being? The word spirit really means essence. Essence comes from essay, Latin, to be. Spirit is your being. So what is it that's experiencing the sensations and experiencing the imagination? What is that? 
Let's do two quotes. Just because they're the same, actually, but they're kind of fun because they're the same. So the first quote I'm going to give you is from the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic Christian gospel, very, pro probably the earliest of all the gospels. And in this Gnostic gospel, the figure of Jesus is revealing the gnosis, the, the knowing. That's what he does to his disciples, to his students. And he says a very enigmatic thing. He says, I will reveal to you what you cannot see, what you cannot hear, what you cannot touch, and what cannot be imagined. Okay, now let's time travel back 500, at least, years to India, the Upanishads. And here, in the Upanishads, different time, different place, it says this. It's kind of like a riddle. So what is it that cannot be seen which makes seeing possible? What is it that cannot be heard that makes listening possible? What is it that cannot be touched which makes touch possible? What is it that cannot be imagined which makes thinking possible? So both of these koans, these little poems, are pointing to our deepest being, spirit, traditionally. What we experience is the eye, the eye which is looking. Because if you pay attention right now, it should be obvious, I think, that the eye that, was, that is looking has no color. And it has no shape. Everything you're seeing has color and shape, but the presence of your being, which is experiencing all of that, has no color or shape. And it's listening to my voice, but it makes no noise. It's completely, it's silent. It's witnessing all of this movement, actually, but it's completely still. So, my lovers, as they say in the West Country where I come from. I'm going to give you now, for better or worse, I'm going to just dive in and tell you what I think is the deepest mystical teaching in every single tradition I've written about. And it sounds pretty weird, but hopefully it, it won't be. So I'm going to give it to you right now. It's going to be about 30 seconds. So are you ready? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Ooh. Your deepest being, the thing you are above all else, has no form. It has no form. It just is. It has no qualities other than being. Doesn't make a noise, hasn't got a color, isn't an idea. It just is. That what you are is the presence of pure isness, your being. 
And then what you're witnessing is this body and soul. And that the spiritual awakening in its deepest form is about coming to that. Now, when I came to it as a kid and what you might experience tonight or tomorrow, or when you, when you go, whoa, you may, you know, it's not about thinking any of this stuff. But nevertheless, that's what it is. It's about the moment you make contact consciously with something beyond this. Not because this is bad, but because you are all of it. Now, because your being is formless, because your being is without any barriers to it, what becomes apparent if you sink your attention into it, if you take your attention and you take it, instead of going out into experience all the time, which is a lovely thing to do because experience is very cool, but instead of sinking it out, if you do that, if you turn back on yourself and you sink your attention back into your being, there's this presence. There's this presence and, it's, and it has no boundaries to it. It's just a spacious presence within, within which all this is arising. A bit like a dream. It's a bit like being the dreamer of a dream. That presence is not limited to you. What becomes apparent, it seems to me, is that as I sink back, the presence in me is the same as the presence in you. That that deep being, the Atman, the Buddha nature, the spirit, is the place where actually there's one of us. So that here, there's two. Isn't that interesting? But come back and there's one of us being two of us. Which is why if, you, if, you, if this becomes apparent, there's this enormous love that arises between the two. Because love is how oneness feels, actually. You, I mean, that's just true across the board. If you think of anyone you love, it's because you're separate and not separate from them, isn't it? It's like my little girl, my little girl, she's 18. She's doing her last exam today. She'll be drunk by now, I should think. <laughs> she's worked so hard. And I love her to bits. And what that means is she's separate from me and she should be and she's independent and duh, and she's not. Both. Not one or the other, but both. Both of those. She is separate and she's not. And that's what it is to love something. Well, what happens if you sink back into your deeper nature and you find you're not separate from anything or anyone? There's just this enormous love. And it's completely unconditional because there's nothing to be conditional about. It's not like a virtuous thing where you've arrived at unconditionality. It's just by its very nature. It is just holding everything within it because it is everything. It's, it's a love so big that it can hold all the suffering, not by dismissing it, by holding it within it. And it's a love so big it can even, to use the great line from our Christian tradition, you can even love your enemies. It's that big. So this awakening is really just about looking inside of us and finding out, oh, my nature is paradoxical. 
on the one hand, I'm Tim. I'm this body and this soul. I'm Tim. That's what Tim is. And he's a guy from the West Country who is on this bizarre journey between life and death, doing his best to learn and evolve and not screw up too much. But also, at the same time, if I look deep within myself, I'm everything. I'm this formless presence from which everything is arising who is being Tim. But there's the same formless present being you. And when I'm like this, when I'm really unconscious, so unconscious I don't even notice the mystery of life, I'm that unconscious, I don't even know, notice that, I just think I'm just this. That's all I am. What happens when this is I start saying, oh, no, no. I'm the universe. I'm, I'm everything being Tim. Meeting the universe being you. And that's completely different now. Because here it's interesting, you know, we're two individual monkeys meeting each other, doing our thing, that's good. But to look through and go, hang on, the thing I'm connecting with when I look in your eyes, I can't see it. I see the eyes, but I don't see what is looking back, because what's really looking back is conscious being, which has no shape or form. So right now, we've been sitting here in this circle the whole time. What's been happening is that you've been connecting with something which has no form, and so am I connecting with something. Through your form, I'm connecting with something which has no form. It's happening all the time. Happening with speech. It's happening. When we like that, don't notice any of that. But when you... Ah, suddenly, it's like, wow! This is, there is a deep communion happening here. Not just there's bodies meeting, that's amazing. There's two souls connecting, that is far out too. All of that journeying and... Wow, what makes us us? And then, ah, that presence of the deep I, pure being, where there's actually one of us. So not only am I connecting with something I can't see, but something is connecting with itself here. Now we're in a whole new world. Now we're just somewhere else completely new. Suddenly, you're, you've, you've gone from to, woo, magic. At least that's how it feels always to me. So, let me uh, say a few things which I think need revising about approaches to this in the past, and then we'll throw it open, and then you can talk, and we can ask me anything you want, and if I can, I'll say something useful. Why I mentioned this paralogical thing at the beginning, why I bothered with that, is because I think it's a key to making it easier for us to wake up. Because here's the traditional view that I certainly got when I was in my teens and 20s and doing all this and reading all the books from the East and everything. The common assumption is, if you want to wake up to this formless oneness, this what gets called the non-dual, the not-two, if you want to wake up to the not-two, the non-dual, true being, oneness, then you have to get rid of separateness. Which means the thing which is in the way of your spiritual awakening is you. And not only that, I mean, I don't know if you've come across this, but I certainly came across it a lot. There is something in me, my own 
individuality, my ego, my I, which not only is in the way, but is actively trying to stop me. There is something in me that wants me not to awaken, because when I awaken, it will die, and it won't, doesn't want to die. So it's the thing which will go, you don't want to meditate, Tim. Don't do that. Go and do something else. Watch the TV. Watch the, watch the, watch the football tonight. Don't go and do that. And because we all have those crazy thoughts, it's very easy to look at yourself, isn't it, and go, oh yeah, there's that in me. But I think that's all bullshit. I really do. I do not think our individuality is a problem. I'd say the biggest thing which has helped me, I think, offer this awakening to more people than I ever imagined 20 years ago, is going, look, your, your separate self, your individuality is not the, it's not in the way, because it is both of these at once, not one or the other, but both. It's there right now. And my experience is, you know, if you want to be a better person, you'll need to change. If you want to be a better in your work or a better husband or wife or parent or child or whatever, lover, if you want to do that, you need to evolve. Actually, I think we all are on a path of evolution and that's great. But if you want to wake up to your deep being, you don't have to change. That's there right now. That is not conditional on who you are or where you're at or... Because we're all works in progress. You know, my, my feeling here is, in spirituality, there's a whole load of people talking about it, pretending that they're something they're not. I, I can't tell you the number of enlightened people I've met and how disappointing it is. <laughs> I, am, I never want to meet another enlightened person. Uh, it, it, I just, if, someone, if someone enlightened comes to town, I'm not interested. I want to be with you. I don't want to be with them. I've had enough of enlightened people. I, really. Why? Same reason. It's because actually the truth is, oh, each one of us is on a journey. Even those people, it turns out. Each one of us is in, in, our, in our own psyche, in our own soul. We are paralogical. So, if, you know, there's Tim, and I'm really hoping that for this evening, Tim is going to be good fun to be with and interesting, and you'll be pleased you came. But if you lived with him like I do 24-7, he would drive you nuts. Because there's a whole side of Tim, which I'm not going to show you tonight, because you don't want to see it. <laughs> and I'm guessing that's true for you. I'm guessing. So that's just the way we are. Why? Because we're all evolving. So let's forget the idea of perfection and instead let awakening be a natural state which can come now just because we're alive. I, 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 this is, I'll show you this line. I don't know. It's in one of my books. It might be even two of them because I liked it so much. It came to me one day and I thought, oh my God, that's blinding. That is just such an insight. I should share that with the world. Because it just felt, look, look, we are both of these at once. That's the key. That's the thing I want to convey to you. We are both of these at once. So the way that I felt like, look, we are all great souls and we are all our souls. <laughs> and if we can just get that, if we can free ourselves from this illusion of perfection, suddenly this is right there, right now. It's not waiting at the end of a long period when you're up a hill meditating or in a mountain or in a cave. It's here right now. And it really, really is here right now. It's always been there. And it's so obvious we miss it. And when you find it, there's enormous love. And what that does 
is it enables you to find the strength to make the journey. So Tim finds the strength to make the journey not by being, oh, you know, <laughs> when I was younger, I think I had this idea that, well, I definitely had this idea that if I just meditated long enough and gave up all the things I enjoyed, especially sex, <laughs> then by the time I'm this ripe old age, I'd be like, boo, and I'd be, you know, but permanently, and you'd meet me, like, I'd be Uber Tim. <laughs> I'd be Uber Tim, and you'd be like, oh, I met Uber Tim, and just to be in his presence, <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, all of that stuff. Well, that clearly hasn't happened, you can see that. But what has happened, honest to goodness, folks, is much more interesting to me. What's happened is, it feels like, ah, this new spirituality is about authenticity. It's about, can we be together just as we are? Which means, can I be with you, conscious that Tim is a guy, he's very vulnerable, actually, how could he not be? You know, underneath this, he's just kind of hairy monkey, really. He puts on these clothes to make it look better, but that's what he is. And he's doing his best. And turns out I'm God. <laughs> and so are you. Who'd have thought it? But that's the way it is. And Tim is just Tim. And we're all this at the same time. So that when we meet, we can meet in this beautiful, vulnerable, tender authenticity without any of the bullshit and the, and the, oh, and, and all of that stuff, which seems people think is spiritual for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like, you know, you shouldn't do this, should you? You should, you should sit with flowers and speak like this. And, you know, <laughs> and slowly with long pauses, you know, which I can do if you like, but, <laughs> but it's not me. You know, if you want me, you get this. That's a Tim. It's probably not, not in this, it doesn't have to be you, you're, you're you. Please don't be, one Tim is enough. And so that what we can offer each other is our authenticity, which means being this in all of its tender, vulnerable confusion and seeing through and seeing that right inside every single one of us, there is this incredibly deep presence looking back and seeing it in oneself. So you can go, ah, oh, it's both of those. It's both of those. And when we have that, there's this love. And for me, since I was 12, it's only that love which brings the knowing that this is good. Without that, this just seems crazy. But with that, the one thing in the middle of this big mystery, which I, for myself, I can't know it for you, but for myself, I know, is that if this is about love. This is about love. And the love is the one meeting itself as two. That's why the individuality is not a mistake. It's actually the vehicle, that the ego is the hero through which we come to this. It's the, it's the one making the journey. It's not the enemy. It's just ambivalent because everything is. And we need to allow that in ourselves and each other and then reach through to this deeper thing which can bring this enormous love to life. And that love changes everything. And that's why this deep awake state, this spirituality, 
I think is very relevant and always will be because it's about the very essence of life. So, my friends, that's what I came to share with you in essence. And I'm really happy now. Let's open the doors, let some air in, and then let's, uh, we can go where you like with this. Do you want, to, should we have a five minute break and um, let you use the toilets and all of that and take some air and then we'll come back in and we can explore that? Is that a good, good idea? I think that's a good idea. Okay, okay let's do that.